This is my Bible. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. Today, I'm ready to receive the incorruptible, ever-living seed of the Word of God. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in this place. Come, Holy Spirit, have your way in my life. I'll never be the same again. Come on. Never, never, never. In Jesus' name, amen. Best shout ever. All right, this is Romans 1, uh, verse 18. But God chose his anger from, from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature. So they have no excuses for not knowing God. Yes, they knew God, but they wouldn't worship him as God or even give him thanks. And they began to think up foolish ideas of what God was like. As a result, their minds became dark and confused. Claiming to be wise, they instead became utter fools. And instead of worshiping the glorious, ever-living God, they worshiped idols made to look like mere people and birds and animals and reptiles. So God abandoned them to do whatever their shameful hearts desired. As a result, they did vile and degrading things with each other's bodies. They traded the truth about God for a lie. So they worshiped and served things God created instead of the creator himself who is worthy of eternal praise. Amen. That is why God abandoned them to their shameful desires. Even the women turned against the natural way to have sex and instead indulged in sex with each other. And the men, instead of having normal sexual relations with women, burned with lust for each other. Men did shameful things with, with other men, and as a result of this sin, they suffered within themselves the penalty they deserved. Since, since they thought it foolish to acknowledge God, he abandoned them to their foolish thinking and let them do things that should never be done. Their lives became full of every kind of wickedness, sin, greed, hate, envy, murder, quarreling, deception, malicious behavior, and gossip. They are backstabbers, hater of God, insolent, proud, and boastful. They invent new ways of sinning, and they disobey their parents. They refuse to understand, break their promises, and are heartless and have no mercy. They know God's justice requires that those who do these things deserve to die, yet they do them anyway. Worse yet, they encourage others to do them too. Hallelujah. Let's pray and you may be seated. Father, thank you for the reading of the word. Open our hearts and minds to it now. Lord, let it just stir in our spirit what we need to know today. Let our minds be open to receive of your word. Let us go out stronger in faith than when we came in the door. In Jesus' precious name, say amen. amen. You may be seated. Thank you so much for being here. It is an honor to have you, and I put my welcome with Ryan. We're so glad you're part of the house today. We have been in a series uh, that uh, really God just put on my heart. It wasn't even the plan. Uh, my plan was to go to the book of Galatians, but I really felt praying for the house to land on this thing about the fruit that God expects out of us. And so we've been in a long journey 
on the fruit and I thought well maybe two or three weeks and that's turned into about 15 it looks like and so I'm just very proud to take you on the journey today so I'm gonna catch you up real quickly I would encourage you if you're new or you've not been able to be part of what we do every single week go on our website uh, mybelieverschurch.com and watch all the videos just to keep up because there's some really deep stuff you believe that it's good been good yeah so uh, you can catch that I won't belabor the point but let's just go on the screen I'll kind of catch you up to today and what we want to talk about John 15 to Jesus these are the words of Jesus he said I want you to bear fruit the very bottom he said but I also want you to produce more fruit and then this second verse of Jesus says this when you produce much fruit you are my true disciples and this brings great joy to my father here's what we landed on uh, this was about four weeks five weeks worth of teaching the fruit God expects is obedience to his wisdom and command here's what we found out though we cannot obey no matter how hard we try so we find ourselves hopeless and we landed on this thought but the fruit let's go back but the fruit of the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit and look at the very bottom it says since we are living by the Spirit let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our life. And we landed on this. Our only hope as a Christian is the Holy Spirit. There is no other way to live. I know we like to try to live religiously. We like to try to keep the rules. We like to make bargains with God. If you'll do this for me, I'll do this for you. We fail every time. But there is hope. And the hope is the Holy Spirit. This is the problem. Look at this picture. This is typically what we think when we think of the Holy Spirit. This is the object lesson the Bible gives us about the Holy Spirit is a bird. And in some weird way, I'm to have a relationship with this bird that will cause my life to produce the kind of desires that God wants me to have. And where we landed is, it's really easy to talk about Jesus because he gets the four Gospels and his words are red and we can really know what he says because they put it in red ink and we can go, that is Jesus. But when you talk about the Holy Spirit, he gets two very interesting object lessons connected to him. The first one is wind, and the second one is a bird, a dove. And so it's very difficult in modern thinking of how do I have relationship with wind, and how do I have a relationship with a bird? So it becomes very subjective even. Uh, you'll hear people say, well, the Spirit said, and you're like, yeah, I don't know. What is the Spirit? Or, oh, the Spirit was on me. I felt the Spirit so strong. And it's seemingly through my years of churchdom that anytime the Holy Spirit was mentioned, it was very subjective. And that always kind of made me nervous that Jesus could be so clearly truthful and the Spirit could be so subjectively just whatever you feel, you feel, and then you blame it on God. And so it led us to this question. How do I follow something I can't see? It will be very easy for me to say to James, James, I want you to follow me. And, uh, and James could say, okay, I'll follow you. And I'll just say, let's go this way. And we could follow each other. Ryan, I'll follow you. You follow me. But when God asks me to live by something I can't see, a spirit, it becomes difficult on, well, how do I do this? How do I follow this? Even the King James will call him a ghost, the Holy Ghost. He's not a ghost. He's a person of the Godhead, but they choose the word ghost as spirit, meaning he's unseen. And then that led us to this verse. Missy read it today. Romans 1.20. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. I love the phrase in yellow. Through everything God made and then the green, they can clearly see. 
So in other words, God made creation, days 1 through 7 in Genesis 1. He established the seven days of creation so you could clearly see His divine nature and eternal power. So even though we say you can't see God, He's unseeable, God says, well, I know you say that and I appreciate your opinions, but I can be seen. I can be seen, my invisible nature can be seen through creation. Well, if you're the devil, what do you do? You annihilate the creation narrative and you introduce the evolution narrative. Uh, Creation never existed. We all evolved from a monkey or a cesspool of amoebas floating around in the universe from a big bang. And then therefore, if I can teach the big bang, I could raise a generation who never clearly see God. So if you don't believe in the creation, it's hard to clearly see God. And we landed there. And then the pink is kind of a just a gotcha moment from Paul. He said, well, once we talk about creation, you'll never have an excuse again for not knowing God. So you can't blame it on your mother, your grandmother, your King James Bible, your Baptist upbringing, your Methodist upbringing, or some pastor that did you wrong because the way you know God is through creation. And if you do that, you have no excuse. So then we thought we came to this uh, thing. We want to learn how to follow the Spirit through the seven days of creation. So last week we went back to the book of Genesis uh, two weeks ago and we ran through all seven days and my daughter said, Dad, I wish you would have just taken time to go through every day really slow and not just bust through all seven. And so I thought, well, you know, the best kind of father is listen to your kids. So I backed that thing up and decided let's just go through every day real slowly. And so we landed on this day one last week. We ran through it. This is what it said. I'll read it again. In the beginning, God created the heaven and earth. Earth was formless. Darkness covered the deep waters. The Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Then God said, let there be light. And there was light. And God saw the light. It was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. God called the light day and the darkness. He called night and the evening and morning were the first day. And we did a deep study about the realm of Lucifer, and this is what we landed on day one, and we're about to tackle day two. Here's day one. The Holy Spirit will always work to destroy a root of pride in your life, and He's trying to lead you away from selfish behavior and into God's fruitful purpose. There's a whole teaching on that last week if you want to go deeper, but that was the thought. Let's jump into day two because it is going to be uh, brutally honest and enlightening, I pray. I've tried to uh, do this in such a way to make it applicable as well as theological for you, meaning I want you to think outside the box here, and I really want you to grab a hold of this unseen spirit. So let's just jump into day two. So this is in your Bible, Genesis chapter 1. You can go there, but I I gave you the verses on the screen. I'm just going to read through it, and I've highlighted things that are very important, and then we'll jump into it. Then God said... Let there be a space between the waters to separate the waters of heaven from the waters of the earth. This is day two. And that is what happened. God made the space to separate the waters of the earth from the waters of the heaven. God called the space what? Sky. And the evening and the morning were the second day. It really doesn't look... We'll just leave that verse there for a minute. Let it kind of soak in. It really just doesn't even look that impressive of a day. Day one, light and darkness is pretty clear. Like God's eliminating darkness. He's, uh, he's destroyed the kingdom of Lucifer. And uh, Jesus is the light of the world. You are the light of the world. Those are pretty clear. But you come to day two and it's just kind of a ra- rather enigmatic day. It's just like, okay, well, let's just read on. I guess God 
I guess on day two, God made the sky. But to understand the nature and character of God in day two, God in, in His brilliance has given us the other 66 books of the Bible to know Him by. And, and any what we learned last night, uh, Wednesday night in Revelation is that whatever God begins, He finishes. So this is just the beginning, but in what God began, He began something very profound here. Even though there's nothing else here, there are no humans, there are no animals yet, there's nothing. There's no, there's no land yet, there's no grass, there's no trees. Day two is just welcome to water above and water below and a space in the middle called sky. And if we're not careful, we just read right on and try to remember that for vacation Bible school so I can get brownie points on my team to remember that God created the sky on day two, and that's how I read it for years. I was just like, yeah, day two, God made the sky. Let's move on to day three and day four. You know, that's kind of the thinking of creation, if Christians even know the days of creation. Many don't, but, but it, it, I guess about three years ago, I, I really just went on a study of this. So like, God, I know that there's more to creation than just seven days. And so can I take you on that journey this morning? So uh, I've spent about, uh, I made a joke uh, last week about, uh, you know, this passage of Genesis. I've probably spent the last 20 years in Genesis 1 through 6. Those, you know, that real core of what's going on before everybody dies. So I try to do a good job to take all of that and just lump it into what in the next 30 minutes for you. And I never mind talking about it with you. All you have to do is take me to Mexican food, give me chips and salsa. Man, I can talk for hours. <laughs> so let's jump right in and let's talk about day two. To understand the nature of day two and what God did, we have to transport ourselves forward in time. Now, as humans, we don't have that ability. We, we really can't transport ourselves into the future right now practically. Maybe some scientists will figure it out later. But for now, uh, time travel to the future looks very impossible, but not for God. God is eternal. And that means that God sits above time. Not only does He sit above it and outside it, He also is time. So for God to say, this is the beginning... And let's just pretend like my rug up here is the land of time from beginning to end. So this is the land of time. If you're in it, you don't really know the future. You're just living in it. And it's like, oh, it's tomorrow. Oh, which was also now, which is, used to be yesterday, right? That's about all we get. We get yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And then we typically end today, fret from yesterday, and be defined by that while we struggle in anxiety to figure out tomorrow and God sits outside of all of it and says, What in my name are you worried about? I already see what's coming. If you'll listen to me, I can guide you around all of it. As a matter of fact, I told you, pray, Lord, lead me not into temptation. So maybe you just spend some time with me. I can get you to the end of time without being so stressed out. Because he sees it all. So for God, watch. For God, at any length along, from the past, present, or the far future, to God, it's all right now. Like 10,000 years ago is now to me because I see it. Right now is now to me because I'm watching it. But also the future is now because I see the end. So for God, He's not into past, present, and future. He's just now. 
So when he says to Abraham, when he says to Moses, who should I say? Say, I just tell him I am. Like I've got it. No matter what you bump into, I am. I'm the past, present, and the future. I'm all of it wrapped up in one. I'm God. Chill out and trust me. Right? So, so to understand day two, we have to know that the first three words are critical because the first three words are then God said. So when God is the one creating it, whatever God is making in day two that seems very empty and strange, God can see the future. And so what he's making in day two is preparatory for the future. So the only way we could know that is now because of time when we're in the box, we now have the beauty of 2020 and we can look back in time to a land of the book of Genesis and we go to Genesis chapter 6 and we pick up a story of a guy named Moses, uh, Moses, a guy named Noah. And so to understand the forward thinking of God, we have to project ourselves from day two into the story of Noah that will come thousand years later or more. We have to project ourselves into that moment because as God is creating day two, there are no humans, there are no trees, there is no boat, there is no sin, and there is no Noah, but everything I'm doing in day two is to prep for this dude. Does that make sense? I know you don't see him yet, but I already see him. So there is a thinking that in God, God is always working in the unseen world that you cannot even imagine because he's outside of your imagination and he sees what you cannot even see. So as he's working this, there's no dude named Noah, but God's like, dude, y'all chill out. I, I, I'm working toward him. Well, I don't know why God knew Adam was going to sin and made Adam anyway. That's because God ain't looking at Adam alone. God sees Adam. God sees the sin. God sees himself. And God sees it is finished. So why did God make this guy to sin? Because he saw it is finished. And I can't get to it is finished without creating a guy that will sin because it is finished solves the sin. Right? I mean, that's just mind-blowing until you step out and see it from God's perspective. So let's jump into Genesis 6 and let's read about this fellow named Noah. So God said to Noah, so now we fast-forwarded from day two. And what I hope you'll see is in the story of Noah is the prophetic outflow of what God had done thousands of years prior. And what I would love you to grab a hold of is that God is working things out in your future right now that you don't even know you're going to need. And it also tells me that what you're living in right now could be the prophetic flow of someone a thousand years ago that was praying and you didn't even know them but they were praying prophetic prayers and now you're in the middle of the prophetic prayer going, I don't know why my life's so good. That's because your great, 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 great grandmama was on her knees. You don't even know her. And she was on her hands and knees praying for the future, praying for her grandbabies, praying for her great-grandbabies, praying for my great-great-great-great-grandbabies and to a thousand generations and generations and generations and generations. 
We sing it, right? His favor be upon you to a thousand generations and the children and the children and the children and the children. So sometimes you wanted the children that has been prayed for a thousand years ago. And see, that's mind-blowing for us because all we're thinking about, I can't believe it made me wear a basket target. Oh, God. Like, like that's the best we can do is we're just stuck in a moment. And God says, no, if you're going to live by my spirit, you can't get stuck in a moment. I'm in front of you. I'm with you. I'm behind you. And when you get stuck in a moment, you're not living by the spirit. So, Noah... God said something. Don't you love, wouldn't you love to bend him and this is the first thing God ever said to you? God wasn't like, let's go get a cup of coffee. Let's go hang out for a day. God just walked up and said, hey, bro, come here. And I'm like, yeah, God, what do you want? Hey, listen, I've decided just to destroy the entire planet Earth. (laughs) And you know you're thinking, wait a minute, this, this is where I live. Like, you come to destroy my house? You know, I saw a video the other day of Antifa. I guess it's Antifa. I can't keep up with anybody anymore. But they were standing outside on the street with a bullhorn talking to somebody in a, in a uh, apartment. We're going to burn your house down. Get out. We're going to burn it down now. The girl in the apartment's crying, don't burn my house down. We're going to burn it down. That's our house. Give us. A... And I'm watching this like, wow. And I just had a flashback to this. I just had a flashback of God going, I'm going to burn it all to the ground. Get out now. I'm going to flood the whole planet. And Noah's like, what what are you doing? So God said, ah, don't worry. It's just going to kill all of you. And you want to know what really ticks God off for they filled the earth with violence. I just want to say this to you. Don't you ever think that this protesting that's full of violence is a godly thing. I'm all for protesting. Don't don't think me wrong. I don't mind getting out in the street and holding a sign and shouting for what you believe in. That's America. But when you attack violence with it and you get violent with it, you are now in the kingdom of Satan. So as you watch violence play out on the TV that people call protesting, it is nothing more than the praise and glory of Lucifer's kingdom trying to take over. And he's hijacked something called protest. God God hates violence. So he says, yes, I even love it. God's just like real clear. Yes, I just make it clear. I'm just going to wipe them out. (laughs) I mean, I'll just give you three things. I'm going to destroy everybody, and I'm just going to wipe them out. But I need you to build a boat. I don't know why God did it that way. I wish he would have said, but I'm going to build a boat. But God doesn't do it that way because God calls you into his prophetic flow. God could have easily built the boat for him because he made the universe. But God doesn't always do everything for you. Because there's an aspect of God where he says to you, uh, he says, now here's what I want you to do, Robert. I want you to enter in with me and I'm going to ask some things of you that will never make sense, but trust me. Trust me, Matt. Because I'm going to ask you, I'm going to call you into me. And because you know me, I'm going to ask you to do something for me that won't make a hill of being a sense to you, but trust me. So build me a boat uh, just to help you, 450 feet long by 75 feet wide by 45 feet high. So this is, it would be bigger than this for sure. It would be four, uh, three football fields plus long probably. Uh, so that's pretty big. I think a football field is like 90 feet wide. I don't know, but, but big. And, and you don't get any power tools. No Makita drills. 
No power saws. You got to do it all by hand in a donkey. Maybe God will throw in a camel and an elephant. I don't know. But he said, I want you to build it out of cypress wood. Let's read on. Look, I'm about to cover the earth with a flood. Now he tells me how he's going to do it. That will destroy everything that breathes. Everything on the earth will die. But I'll confirm my covenant with you. So enter the boat, you and your wife and your son's wife. Now here's the weird thing about God. God tells him several verses later to enter the boat. Which is a weird thing. That was just, What I just skipped over in about 45 seconds was about a hundred year long process. Took me about 45 seconds to hop to it. Build a boat, get in the boat. But build the boat to getting in the boat is a hundred years. I wonder if any of us, including me, have that kind of chutzpah that I could do something for a hundred years, never see any fruit or sign other than my sheer obedience because that's how much I trust that God will show up. Most of us give up in a week and a half. I gave an offering, I got nothing back. They prayed for me at the altar, I got more sick. My headache didn't go away. Well, how long have you been praying? I've been praying 45 minutes. All right, well, when you get about 25 years under your belt, call me back. Right, I don't mean that rude, but I mean, that, that's the thinking. And, and so that was 100 years getting the boat. Now, the moment he told him to get in the boat, he asked to assume that the boat would float. Meaning that whatever tree I told you to get, I have to assume that by my ability of God to know the size of the boat, to know the dimensions of the boat and the kind of tree, that if you'll follow my wisdom to the T, I will guarantee you the boat will float. Because as I've said before here, Noah didn't get a trial run. God didn't say, now let's just test this boat out before I flood the earth because if you didn't build it right, you're going to die and every animal is going to die and I'm going to start all over. I don't want to start all over. I want to save them through you. But if you don't listen to me, it's not going to work. And I find that there's a lot of giddy people with God, but they don't listen clearly. And so they want their life to work, but your life doesn't work by you building the boat 300 feet by 12 feet by 6 feet and going, I'm tired. I think that looks good enough. You have to build the whole thing by his dimensions. And there's a lot of people that get saved and they grab their Bible and God said, here's the whole counsel of my word. And I said, well, I don't really like the whole counsel. I mean, that's 450 feet by 75 by 45. How about if I just cut it out and I go about 300 feet? Because I don't want to read that scripture that tells me to stop being a drunk and, and stop looking at porn. I don't want to read all. I don't want to hear all that stuff Missy read about sexuality. It's my identity. It's my life. So let me build my boat my way. And then when the floods come, let me put it on God to make sure it floats. That's, that's Christianity today. Christianity today is building their own boat in the name of God and then mad when it doesn't float and get ticked off at God that their life doesn't work when they never did it anyway. They never did his wisdom. So the next verse, this is verse set, chapter 7, 11. When Noah was 600 years old, on the 17th day of the second month, all the underground waters erupted from the earth and the rain fell from the torrents of the sky. This, this is mind-blowing. This right here is the fulfillment of Genesis day 2. Because on day two, I made the waters above and the waters below, and I put a sky. And right here, uh, seven chapters later, I see why God did this. The reason God made the waters above from the waters below is because He was going to use that to judge sinful mankind. 
So in day two, when he says, let there be waters above and let there be waters below, and let me put an expanse in the middle and call that middle the sky. We go, ooh, he made the sky. But what he's doing is looking into the life of Noah saying, the very waters where you think nothing was going on, I'm so far into the future because I'm eternal that those waters above and waters below will be used for my judgment. So day two of God's creation, he created it as a prophetic sign that judgment would come upon the earth. I pre watch I pre-recorded it. Yet, weird, there are no humans who've sinned yet. There are no trees to build a boat yet. But God creates a space of judgment where the water is going to annihilate everybody and the only way you'll be saved is to build a boat out of trees with a human but yet there are no trees in day two and there's no human in day two so it seems as if God has set himself up for major failure. Because I'm going to judge you, your salvation is a boat and a human and I'm sure the angels are like, wait wait a minute, you're going to judge who? Who are you going to judge? Humans, where are they? Well, they're not here yet. Well, then how could you say you're going to judge them? Shouldn't you make day two after day six? Because you should judge them after they sin. And God's like, you guys are thinking all backwards. I'm letting you know that before there ever was a sin, ever was a human, ever was a cypress tree, and ever was anybody who could build it, I'm so far into the future that I'm already making a way before there's any evidence there even is a way. You are way maker, miracle worker. Promise keep a light in the darkness. My God, that is right. I mean, it, it sings well. It sings really well. But it does not play out well when there is no way for it to happen in your life. And you're like, I don't know how God's going to save this marriage. I don't know how God's going to get me out of this mess. I don't know how the Lord, because we're looking at every possibility. And God's like, why do you keep looking for all the possibilities? Don't you know that I can make something out of nothing? Don't you know that the very nature of faith is to trust the unseen? So what God is doing here is he's making a way to judge. Let's read on. Still the story of Noah. Yes, chapter 9, I'm confirming my covenant with you never again. This is after the flood. Never again will the flood waters kill all living creatures. Never again will a flood destroy the earth. And God said, I'm giving you a sign of my covenant with you and all living creatures for all generations to come. I have placed, come on, my rainbow... In the clouds, it is a sign of my covenant with you and all the earth. So in day two, God is not just thinking I'm going to judge you. He created the sky because God wants you to know that in the middle of judgment, He's already prepared an answer. And the answer is going to be in the very sky that I created in in day two... I'm making a space to reveal my covenant. I will put judgment above the waters, judgment below the waters, but I called the space in between the sky. 
Why would you call that the sky God? Because you guys aren't thinking. You guys want to see everything. You don't believe it until you see it. You don't believe there's judgment until you see the judgment. You don't believe in sin until you see the sinner. I'm trying to bring you into my world and say, I see things you don't see. I think things you don't think. I'm so far ahead of you, your brain can't even figure out what I'm trying to do. But I want you to know this, that whatever I'm doing, I'm working a plan, even when you can't see it. So I made the sky here, but there is no rainbow because there's no clouds yet. There is no rainbow because there's no judgment yet. There is no boat because there's no trees yet. There is no waters above wiping out humans because there's no humans yet. But you better know when there's no trees and there's no humans and there's no sin, I'm already thinking about a way to redeem you before you ever see it. I'm making a way and now the sky, and here's what's weird, the sky is now going to be the place I place the rainbow and the rainbow will show you that I've always been thinking about you before you ever got here. So when Noah looks up and goes, a rainbow, isn't that gorgeous? That's my pole dark, that's the best I got. Isn't that gorgeous? It's Roy G. Biv, seven colors of the light spectrum. Oh, I wonder why seven. Because seven is the sign of God's perfect work. So even in the rainbow, God has placed a full covenant that said it works. So here we go in day two. There's nothing to work. There's no sin. There's no trees. There's no land. There's no judgment. There's no humans. And now look up. Because now, before you even looked up, I was already working in a time before you even existed. I was working in a moment before you even breathed your first breath. Before you came out of your mama's belly, I already had a plan. I already had a way. I already had a purpose. I already was working something that you had no clue I was working because I was working it before there was a problem, working it before there was a person, working it before there was a tree and then when all of a sudden you needed it and you thought why ain't God working I've been working for a thousand years before you ever showed up on the planet and do you not feel like sometimes you're that person where are you God when I need you the most all hell's breaking loose in my life and God's like really you, you think that I just showed up today and thought, well, you've had a terrible day. I've been so busy working in the Middle East to keep my Israelites safe. I forgot all about you in Villarica. Anybody ever felt like God cares more about those people than you? They're like, Lord, why do you keep protecting the Israelites and you can't even keep me from getting a flat? <laughs> Well, the reality is God didn't forget about you. But there are some times He's working and you don't see it. So when you don't see it, when you don't understand it, when you don't get it, do not believe the lie that God forgot about you. Do not believe the demonic lie that God doesn't care about you or that you've got to figure something out. Sit back and just say, God, you've been working. I'm going to trust you. Whatever you need me to do, download it by your spirit, and I'll do it. 
And you may be completely flat broke, and God said, give $5. I already got $5. I'm going to have to charge it. We'll charge you five then. Right? He'll ask things of you that don't make sense. What he did to Noah, build me a boat. I don't even know what a boat is. Okay, just listen and build it. I'm going to kill everybody. So I placed a rainbow in the clouds. It's a sign of my covenant with you and all the earth. Would you do me a favor and get your Bibles out and turn, if you would, into your Bible to Genesis 8. I want to read something that I pray will, I'm just going to read it, and I hope it just gets into your belly, and then I want to wrap the whole thing up with what I think God wants to say to us about day two. Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. But God remembered Noah. It almost sounds like God's just been up there the whole year chilling out while Noah's trying to deal with, with elephant poop in a boat. But when it says God remembered Noah, it's not like he forgot about him because he's thinking about Noah in day two before Noah ever got here. So don't ever think God forgot about you. God was thinking about you before you were born, which is what he said to Jeremiah before you even in your mama's belly already knew you. Before you ever got here and your mama named you Ryan, Ryan. Not Ryan, Ryan. Like, you got two Ryan names. Well, you know what I mean. Ryan, Ryan. You know. Ryan, why, some of you are like, why does his mama name him Ryan, Ryan? Ryan, Ryan, you know. Before his mother ever named him Ryan, God's like, I already knew you were going to be here. I knew you before the beginning of time, Ryan. God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and livestock within the boat, and he sent a what? A what? He sent a wind. I wonder why Jesus in John 3 would tell Nicodemus that the Spirit is like a wind. I wonder if God has given us insight that when you're in the middle of a boat with a bunch of stinky animals over a year and a half and you're having to clean orangutan poop, giraffe poop, elephant poop, feed them all and hope they don't kill each other and you got your wife to get on the boat with you. Wow. My wife can't even handle the hair of a German shepherd for two days. Much less all the animals of the whole planet on a boat and she's got to get in and there's no A.C. Oh, come on somebody. <laughs> the very fact that his wife got on the boat ought to tell you God's a miracle working God. He's a miracle working God. Why? Because his wife got on the boat. I don't know one modern day wife that would do that. That's why God doesn't kill us right now. There's not another woman on this planet would go, let me follow that dummy into that boat with all those animals. Most women be like, peace out, man. You have at it. Just call me on the other side. Hey, by the way, before you go, I'm keeping the kids. Send me some child support. <laughs> you keeping all the kids, right? Send them off. I'm keeping the kids. The kids got on the boat. What kind of woman puts the kids on the boat? I don't know. <laughs> Jesus, and he did it. All right. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals, and he sent a wind. So Get this in your thought. Noah's still on the boat with the animals, locked up, and the waters are still on the earth. But I want you to know something. When it's dark, when you don't know where God is, when you wondered if he forgot about you, know this, the wind is blowing. You don't always know when and where, but you better always know he's working. It may not feel like my God is working, but he's working. It may not look like one thing of my situation has changed, but hang on a minute. What you doing? I'm putting my ear up to the side of the boat. Listen, what do you hear? Oh, it still stinks. 
It's still hot. There's still some animal. Can, I can handle every animal. Could you imagine waking up every blooming morning for a year and a half with a hyena? <laughs> and then a bird. For a blooming year and a half? I barely can wake up with women. Like, my God, you all whine in the house. Give them some coffee. Uh, <laughs> but listen, sometimes you have to steal the chaos of your environment. And you have to put your ear to the wind. And you have to go, shh, shh, stop the noise. I hear something. I don't know what it is, but I know he's working. I know God's working for me. I know he is. I know he is. Let's read on. I feel like I'm going to be here to midnight. <laughs> verse 2. I'm getting excited. Mm. The underground waters, verse 2, stop flowing and the torrential rains stop. So now God's into the judgment. The underground waters are the waters below. The torrential rains from the sky are the waters above. They stop. So the flood waters gradually receded from the earth after 150 days. Exactly five months from the time the flood began, the boat came to rest on the mountains of Arafat, two, Ararat, and two and a half months later, as the waters continued to go down, other mountain peaks became visible. Another 40 days, Noah opened the window he had made in the boat and released a raven. The bird flew back and forth until the flood waters on earth had dried up. I want you to notice something about this. The first bird he sent out was a raven, and nothing happened. The reason he sent a raven out is a raven was a carnivore. And the raven would go out and eat the dead flesh of the humans and the animals that were rotting on top of the surface of the water. Because I want to let you know that sometimes when you trust God, the only thing you see are dead things. Sometimes you're trusting the Lord and there's no life in sight. You send a raven back and he goes out and flies around, lands on a dead carcass, eats some food and brings that back to the boat. So I do want to tell you that sometimes when you trust the Lord in the midst of nothing, you have no evidence that he'll heal you. You have no evidence that he'll fix your marriage. If you're not careful, you'll get so focused on the dead things of a raven that you'll forget that there's something God still wants to do. Verse 8, here's what God wants to do. He also released a what? There's the bird I told you about. There's the bird. You ever wondered what a bird could do? So when you see he released a dove and, and God, Jesus, is going to be connected to a dove, know this, I, I know we're talking about a literal bird here, but I want you to know why John the Baptist connected a dove to the spirit of the living God because God wants you to know that he's working for you even when you don't know he's working. And so he sends out a dove, and he released a dove, verse 8, to see if the water had dried up until it could find dry ground. But the dove found no place because the land of the water still covered the ground. So he returned back to the boat, and Noah held out his hand and drew the dove back inside. After waiting another seven days, I'll talk to you about this later. That's a critical point, but it'll be in another message. After waiting another seven days, Noah released the dove again a second time. This time the dove returned to him in the evening with a fresh olive leaf leaf in its beak and Noah then knew that the flood waters were almost gone he waited another seven days and then released the dove again this time it did not 
come back. It's not amazing to me, and I don't think it's a mistake, that he released the dove three times. Three times is how many times Jesus Christ was tempted. Because in every temptation, it will always feel like God is not working for me. In every temptation, it will always feel like, where's God when I need him most? In every temptation, it will always feel like it doesn't pay to serve God. So he sends out a dove time one. Nothing has changed. He sends out a dove again. Well, a little bit has changed, but I'm still in this mess. He sends out the dove the third time. He doesn't come back. All right, boys, let's get off this boat. It's time to get busy living. And that is the nature of the Holy Spirit. The nature of the Holy Spirit, let's go back to our slideshow. The nature of the Holy Spirit is to know this, that He's always working in the middle of the things you cannot see. The Holy Spirit will always remind you that even when you see no visible evidence, no visible evidence of a remedy at all, God can always be trusted. Always be trusted. So when he's sitting here going cypress trees and the mess I'm in, God's like, chill out. Before there ever was a mess, I was working. Before there ever was a problem, I was working. Before there was a tree you could see and a boat you could build and a human you could smell, I have always been working. Know this about the Holy Spirit. He wants to lead you into a land where you trust God even when you have zero visible evidence. That is what he's working for. And I know we like visible evidence. I like my money to work. I like my health to work. My marriage to work. My life. And don't we all? But the beautiful thing of the Holy Spirit, and I think we all know it in this planet we live in, life doesn't always go the way we want it to. And when it doesn't, you need to know, even when I see no visible evidence of a remedy, I know God can always be trusted. But what if? I don't even want to know what if. I just know I can trust him. Well, if you can trust him, it seems like he'd have fixed your marriage by now. I know. I've already sent a raven out. He came back stinking. Well, you ought to just give up. You ought to just quit. I know, but hang on. I'm about to send a dove out to check it one more time. Dove came back. See, I told you God doesn't even care about you. Shut up. I'm going to send a dove again. I'm going to send me a dove. I just will tell you this. You better get somebody on your boat that when the dove comes back doesn't talk you out of it. You need somebody that will not talk you out. I wouldn't send that bird again. It's already come back twice with nothing. I wouldn't even do that. You're just wasting your time. I told you. I told you. I knew when we got on this boat it was never going to work. You don't need those people on your boat. That's why God only let eight of them get on there. Sometimes you need to decrease some friends to make sure you can work it out. Come on, somebody. You don't need to load your boat up with people that don't want you to send another dove out. So sometimes you just got to test it again. Well, he told me to praise him. I'm going to praise him when nothing happened. Well, shut up. I'm praising him again. Send it right. I'm just going to keep praising you, Lord. You're a miracle worker, way maker, promise keeper. Oh, God, here's a bird again. Oh, Jesus, I thought this time was the answer. Pastor Gene prayed a great blessing. I just knew my husband was going to quit drinking when he prayed that great blessing. Oh, nothing got any better. Hush. Pet that little bird. Hey, I need you to rest up, little baby. Why? Because tomorrow I'm sending you back out. You need to eat this cantaloupe because you're going to have a long flight. Some of you aren't nurturing the promises of God. Some of you are cursing his promises. Stupid dove. Give me a buzzard. I'm going to send a buzzard out. 
No, you need to nurture the promise. I know you're tired, little baby. Uh, thank you for going out. Oh, massage those little wings. Here we go. Please, please, this time, please. Nothing. Okay, just rest up, rest up. We'll go on Friday. Right, every seven days. You got seven days. Wonder why seven days. I won't tell you today. I'll tell you another day. But so many Christians call living by the Spirit hard. It's because they want to send the first dove and get everything. They don't want to have to have patience. They don't want to have to trust God. They want to see everything. I want the miracle. I want my prayer answered by noon. So my heart of day two is this. Do you trust even when you can't see visible evidence that God is even remotely there? Look at these two verses. Hebrews 11.1. You know it if you're a Christian. Faith shows the reality of what we hope for. It is the what? Of what we what? Cannot see. God is working to bring you. Hebrews 11.6. For it is impossible to please God without faith. So basically what God is saying, the only way you can please me is to trust me when you can't see something. You drinking coffee crying doesn't please me. What pleases me is when you trust me and you can't see any fruit at all. That makes me happy. That phrase right there, and it is possible to please God, doesn't even remotely feel good to me as a human. I like to please God when everything's working. I want to make him happy when I'm happy. He says, nah, I'm happy when you have zero. Let me read it in Mark Evans' translation. And God is happy when you see no visible evidence that your life will ever come out of a mess. But you trust him anyway. That makes him happy. Let me pray for you today. Uh, I hear what Cameron's playing. Thank you, Cameron. Because he's playing playing the song Waymaker I'm sure he'll sing it at communion Miracle Worker, Promise Keeper but I want you to look at your heart and your life and your chaos, your marriage, your situation your reality are you really looking at what you can see and what you can see has frustrated you, what you can see has irritated you, what you can see is bringing you chaos, what you can see. And you may even say, Mark, I'm, I've been there, man. I have released 27 doves and nothing has changed. I have, went, I have gone through every bird I could go through. I have nothing left. I even sent the parakeets out. Nothing worked. I will just encourage you that day two of God's creation where he said you can know my invisible qualities is even when you don't see it, he's working. Even when I don't feel it, he's working. Even when I don't understand it, he's working. And I have to believe that there are moments in my life I need to put my ear to the side of the boat and I need to hear the wind of his spirit more than I hear the chaos ensuing. There are times in my walk with the Holy Spirit where I will send out a bird and it will come back and seem like I told you it didn't work. I cannot give up. I have to to wait and be patient and send that promise out again. And it comes back, I told you it didn't work. But don't ever give up because to follow the Holy Spirit is He's working even when I see no visible evidence that He's working. 
Would you stand up with me if you will? Our prayer team, uh, David, my parents will be here. Chris and Burl are over here to pray. Uh, Mom and dad will be up front to pray. I'll be here as well. We like to end this way. We like to end letting what has been spoken to us get in our heart. Now, I don't know what's in your heart, but I would say just guessing because we're all human that you probably have found yourself in the middle of some chaos lately. You found yourself with your life history questioning the future, questioning God. Where is He? Why won't He? I mean, I think we've all been there. It's, it's humanity. It's us. I've been there myself. But today's word would be, would you dare believe even when you have no evidence it's working? Come on. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Never stop. Never stop working. Even when I don't see it, you're working. Even when I don't feel it, you're working. You never stop. You never stop working. Never stop. Heavenly Father, this morning I pray for every person who's heard these words. I pray their heart is challenged. I pray that their faith is increased. I don't know what's going on in your heart, but I pray today that this communion will seal the deal. The work of Jesus Christ for you has guaranteed, His work has guaranteed the Spirit to be the blessing that would come upon your life. His work has guaranteed that He would send you a helper, and that helper is called the Holy Spirit. His work on the cross guaranteed that the Spirit would lead you to all truth, and the Spirit would convict you, and the Spirit would bring you life. So when you come to the communion table today, I want you to know that the moment you take that bread in your hand and you dip it into that juice because of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross, I want you before you put that bread in your mouth to say, I know you're working. I know you're working because of Jesus Christ and the spirit he gave me. I'm going to lead you in a prayer in just a minute. At the end of a prayer, it concludes our service time here, our gathering, but it doesn't conclude our worship. Uh, Cameron's going to lead us in worship as we come. You can go back to your seat. You can slip out and go home if you want. We just make an environment for you to kind of soak in what the Lord did. There are communion elements in the bowls as well as already pre-made. It's your choice, whichever you would like. The baskets up front are for those that call this place home. Uh, They bring their tithe and they bring their offerings. And this is how we uh, tell God that we're thankful for the house here. We're thankful for His grace and mercy. So thank you for those that do that. Pray this prayer after me at the end of the prayer. You may come and enjoy communion and be dismissed. Heavenly Father, today I realize something. I can get frustrated when I don't see it working. But I've learned today you are working even when I don't see it. You've thought about me before I ever even knew I needed you. And you've made a way before I even saw the way. So Lord Jesus, I trust you. Be Lord of my life. Be God of my heart. I do believe you died for me. I receive you now as my Lord and Savior. Now come Holy Spirit and bring me the life and the power to live for God. 
on this planet. In Jesus' name. Thank you so much for joining us on the Believer's Church podcast. If you would like more information about Believer's Church, you can visit mybelieverschurch.com. If there's anything that you need prayer for, please email us at amen at mybelieverschurch.com. Thanks again for listening, and we will see you next week for a brand new message. 